it's good to see you. If you're new to church, if you're a visitor, what we tend to do, apart from sing and pray, is take a little bit of time to open God's Word and see what He has to say about Himself, His world, and how we are to live in it. And so we tend to just pick a book of the Bible and work our way through it. This morning, we're partway through one of the biographies of Jesus' life, written by a man called Matthew. And so why not reach for a Bible and turn, if it's one of the ones from the pews, to page 969. In this part of the Gospel, we hear Jesus speaking about what it means to be one of his disciples. So if that's not you, if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, uh, keep the Bible open, and we're going to look at this together and think what it means for those of us who are Christians, and then we'll think a little bit about someone who wouldn't call themselves a disciple. Uh, Let's start, though, by talking about the horse meat scandal. Chances are, according to the news, that all of us have probably consumed horse. Uh, Allegedly, Lidl, Asda, Tesco's, even Waitrose, even Waitrose wrapped up in the horse meat scandal. Not a lot of good has come out of it. From my point of view, the only good that's come out of it has been some of the jokes. My favorite one, apart from the picture, is the one that goes, they've only just discovered the horse meat in lasagna because it's been, the cheese on top was mascarpone. <laughs> Which is, Luke just got it. <laughs> uh, and there's been, even if you're a vegetarian, you can get involved. There's been talk about, uh, in veggie meals, unicorn, which I thought was quite good. But I talk about that because there would be little scandal if on your package it had said horse burger. If it said horse lasagna, there would have been very little scandal. The scandal comes when they say it is beef and it's actually horse. The scandal come when what you're eating is beef or horse in cow's clothing. That's the scandal, isn't it? If they told you this is horse, fine, you probably wouldn't eat it. The fact that it was disguised, you were deceived, that's where the scandal is. It says it's 100% beef, it's actually 100% horse. That is the scandal. Now, as Jesus preaches this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he is preaching, as we read it, it's not a a dry monologue. It is an engaging, enlivening, emotional sermon. He's preaching. He preaches to uncover a scandal. He's uncovering a scandal in his own people, a scandal of hypocrisy. He's uncovering those who call themselves Christians who are actually fools in Christian clothing. He's speaking to those who claim to be pure in heart, but whose hearts are full of lust. He speaks to those who claim to hunger and thirst for righteousness, but who are hungering after revenge. He speaks to those who are prayers, but who are actually praying not to God, but that they might get the praise of men. He's speaking to those who fast, but they're not fasting to express a dependence upon God, but so that they might receive the applause 
of their fellow human beings. He speaks to those who claim that they serve God, but are actually mastered by money. He's speaking to wolves in sheep's clothing. He's speaking to those who listen to God's words and yet do not do what it says. He's preaching to uncover the scandal of hypocrisy. A fool in Christian clothing. A beef burger that's not got a hint of beef. A Christian that actually doesn't have a hint of Christian. A fool in Christian clothing. And before he goes into the rest of his sermon to evidence this hypocrisy of the scandal, he gives us two images. Uh, He is preaching, and so here he says, okay, let me give you a couple of images to flavor and to illuminate the rest of my sermon. I want these to stay with you as I go through my sermon. Salt and light. And as he gives us these images, the question he presses upon us this morning is, are we a part of the scandal? Are we a group of people who claim to be salt yet have left our, uh, lost our saltiness? Who claim to be light yet have hidden it under a bowl? Are we the hypocrites that he is speaking to uncover? Well, let's read Matthew 5. We'll begin at verse 11. This is God's word. Jesus says, verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is God's word. Let me pray before we go any further. Our Heavenly Father, so often we are slow to learn, prone to forget, and weak in our Christian walk. So we ask by your words, through your Spirit this morning, give us an increase and a progress in grace so that there may be more decision in our character, more vigor in our purpose, more elevation in our life, more fervor in our devotion. Please keep us from the blindness and the deafness of Israel, that we might see your Son and hear your words. And may we understand and take it in. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start, before we get to the two images of salt and light, by going to the end of our passage. I want to start at verse 16 because we need to understand the purpose of our discipleship that we would then see the scandal that Jesus is uncovering. 
Until we see the purpose, we will never understand the scandal. So look at verse 16. Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let's see two things about the purpose of our discipleship. Firstly, it is for the praise of your Father in heaven. See that at the end? Praise your Father in heaven. The glory of God is the ultimate end and the supreme motivation of the Christian life. And who is this God? He is your Father. That is the first time in Matthew's Gospel that God is called Father. It will happen 16 more times in this sermon, 44 times by the end of the Gospel. Your Father. If you're a Christian disciple, you can call the God who sits on the throne of the universe your Father. Now that is a revolutionary thought. Especially because of what Jesus' first words were to us in this gospel. Do you remember his first words? Repent. So far, we have been defined by indifference to God, ignorance of him, and rebellion from him. If he deserves a title from our point of view, it ought to be something like enemy, adversary, rival. And yet... As the gospel progresses, we have seen that through Jesus and his spirit-bringing, temptation-beating, devil-defeating, spirit-enlivening, light-bringing, kingdom-ruling work, you can call the God who sits on the throne of the universe your Father. And so the Christian life is to be one that is lived for the praise of of your Father in heaven, for his honor, for his glory, for his fame, for his renown, that his name is put up in lights. That is the purpose of your discipleship. Now, who is Jesus speaking to at this point? Who's his audience? Well, it's this small, unimportant, insignificant group of people sat on the side of a mountain. From the point of the world, nobody's. And here they are sitting, listening to a sermon, and at the foot of the hill, there's a whole world getting on with normality. The rest of the world, millions of people getting on with their shopping and enjoying themselves and making friends and doing their work and making money and whatever. And yet to this small, unimportant, insignificant group of people, Jesus says, your life can bring praise to the God who sits on the throne of the universe. And so to you this morning, to us, who are what? A small, insignificant, unimportant group of people from the perspective of the world. Jesus says to us, who you are and how you live can and ought to bring praise to the God who sits on the throne of the universe. So when a friend comes to you and you are confronted with a need, or when a colleague maligns you at work, or when you're tempted to get angry because of your kid's incessant quibbling, or when it's just you in front of a computer screen, or if it's just you at home with a baby, that moment is a moment where you can fulfill your purpose in life to bring praise to your Father in heaven. 
there is never an insignificant moment in the life of a Christian. Because every single moment can be used to bring praise to our Father in heaven. We exist for the sake of another. And remember the context? Why did I read from verse 11? Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. Persecution does not lack a purpose. So when you, when a friend at school rips you to pieces for aligning yourself with Jesus, when you potentially lose your job for standing in accordance with God's words, that is not a Godless moment. But actually, that moment of persecution is a moment where you can bring praise to your Father in heaven. Amid the lies, amid the insults, amid the evil, is an opportunity to praise our Father. Now, who is the ultimate example of this? Our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Whose whole life was lived for the praise of his Father in heaven. And who suffered not just persecution, but execution. That people might see his name up in lights. He existed for the sake of another. But there's a second purpose in these verses. We exist not only for the praise of our Father in heaven, but we exist for the sake of a decaying and dark world. Behind the images of salt and light lie truths about the condition of our world. Our world loves to think of itself as progressive, doesn't it? They love to see themselves as enlightened. The recent phrase has been taking steps forward. Uh, Progress is seen as taking off the shackles of our historic, archaic, anti-scientific, religious past. And so the past is seen as incorrect, the present is seen as correct, and the future is on the up. We live in this kind of chronological snobbery. Actually, not only does history falsify that, but the Bible speaks the opposite of that. The Bible says that the world left to itself is a world that tends to fester. Since sin came in, decay has set in. The Bible says that the world in and of itself is a place not of enlightenment, but a place of darkness. They live in darkness. Their minds are darkened. They dwell in the shadow of death. They even love the facelessness of darkness. And so he says, you are to live to be seen by the world. Part of your purpose is not just Godward, but it is for the sake of this decaying and dark world. Who is he speaking to? A small, insignificant, unimportant group of people sitting listening to a sermon. And he says to them, actually, you are what the world really needs. You are the world's greatest needs because of its decay and its darkness. Disciples of Jesus are the remedy for the world's disease. 
Without them fishing for men out of the, de- the sea of decay, the world will die in darkness. And do you remember the context? Why do we start reading at verse 11? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you. That's a punch. You exist for the sake of those who will persecute you. We exist for the sake of those who hate us. That's why Jesus in the rest of the sermon will go on and say, okay, pray for those who persecute you. And even love your enemies. We exist for those who will hate us. Now again, who is the ultimate example of that? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Whose whole life was a life in the face of his enemies. From birth to death. And yet who from the cross would not only pray for his persecutors. But the cross was the place where he died for his enemies. That's the purpose of your discipleship if you're a Christian. For the praise of your Father in heaven and for the sake of a decaying and dark world. Now here's the scandal. The scandal comes when you've got disciples who are meant to live for the praise of their Father in heaven, but who instead are living for the praise of themselves. The scandal comes when you've got a group of disciples who are meant to be living for the sake of the world, but who instead are living for the world. Disciples have a tendency to be a bunch of pirates. We try and steal praise from God and store up the treasures of the world for ourselves. And so Jesus brings us to these two images, salt and light. And says, are you a part of the scandal? Are you someone who's claiming the name disciple, but actually there is not a hint of disciple in you? You're like a beef burger with no beef. You're salt with no salt. You're light with no light. So let's look at these two things. We'll look at salt first and then light. Salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now notice, Jesus, I was really struck by this this week. Jesus doesn't gather his disciples to himself and say, right lads, here's the plan. Could you please be salty? And could you try and please radiate a bit of light? He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say go and be salty. He says, you are salt. This is your identity. This is who you are. Sure, you might once have been decaying to death like the rest of the world, but I have applied the gospel that you would live. Sure, you were in darkness, but I have applied the gospel to you that you might be light. You are salt. You are light. Salt is salty, isn't it? When you pour salt out of a salt shaker onto your chips... The salt doesn't then make a decision, okay, shall I be salty or shall I not? Will I help these chips out or are they going to have to pull the weight of the flavor all on their own? Salt doesn't make a decision. It is not an option for it to choose. Salt is salty. Light is light. Lighty. Light. Isn't it? It is who it is, what it is. 
And so Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, be salty. He says, you are salt. That is the scandal. They are not being who they are. That is a hypocrisy. The scandal is when we make being light and salt in our Christian life like an optional extra on our car. Being salty is like air conditioning. Well, I, I can, maybe I'll take it, maybe I'll not. But it's an optional extra. Jesus says, no, salt and light is as intimate a part of who you are as a chassis is to a car. It's not an optional extra. You are salt. You are light. So what is salt? Well, the commentators uh, have a bit of a discussion. They come up with about seven different functions of salt in the ancient world. We're not going to go into that. But I think the most likely one that Jesus is referring to is salt as a preservative, as something that combats decay. So imagine yourself in the first century world, uh, and you've just had your Tesco online delivery, and your horse burgers have arrived, and you have to stop them rotting. Now at this point, a fridge freezer is beyond your wildest dreams. I know that's hard to imagine. If your wildest dreams are about fridge freezers, you need help. But at at this moment in time, it is. And so how do you stop these burgers rotting? Well, one of the preservatives would have been salt or a saline solution that you would have rubbed deep into the meat. And it would have acted to combat decay. So Jesus says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. They are to be those who combat the decay that sin has brought to God's creation. You are to be so distinct that you are bringing a preservative function rather than a decaying function. Now Jesus says in verse 13, but... If the salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for? Nothing. It's good for nothing. It's thrown out and trampled. It is useless. The word is actually, when it says loses its saltiness, the word is becomes foolish. Now that takes you to the end of the Sermon on the Mount with the wise and the foolish builders. What is a fool? Someone who hears Jesus' words, but does not put them into practice. Here's the fool. Here's the useless disciple who claims the name of salt, but has actually lost their saltiness. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, There is nothing in God's universe that is so utterly useless as a merely formal disciple. Salt that's lost its saltiness is utterly useless. And so Jesus says to us this morning, he's preaching to us and he says, have you lost your saltiness? Are you living more in line with the decay of the world or the life-giving gospel of Jesus? As you look at your relationships, as you survey your business deals, as you look at your family life, is there the evidence of that gospel preservedness or that world decayingness? 
Have you lost your saltiness? I think there are a couple of lies that we can, that we can believe that rob us of our saltiness. One lie that we tell ourselves is, I can maintain a public witness to Jesus whilst continuing in private sin. We think that we can maintain a public witness. I can be salt in the world, and yet when I'm in private, I can enjoy harboring this habit of sinfulness. Jesus says, that hypocrisy will rob you of your saltiness. Another lie we can tell ourselves is that if I am going to witness to the world, I need to become like the world. And so we spend so much time in everything we do trying to become as much like the world as possible because then we think the world will like us. Jesus says that conformity will rob you of your saltiness. What the world needs is not people like them, but people who are going to be distinctive from them. The conformity will rob you of your saltiness. Another lie that we believe is when we say, the world isn't actually in decay and darkness. When we think, well, the world's okay. They don't need me. And what tends to happen is, we then don't see the world as something that needs to be preserved but it can just become something that we enjoy. And so we become revelers in the decay like anyone else. Jesus says that compromise will rob you of your saltiness. There's a punch in this question this morning, isn't there? Have you lost your saltiness? Jesus says an unsalty disciple is useless. But there's a second salt scandal. Not only a salt that's lost its saltiness, but also a salt that has lost its contact with the earth. You are what? The salt of the earth. To preserve those burgers, the salt would need to be rubbed into the, into the meats. Salt that stays in the salt shaker will never serve its purpose. Have you lost your contact with the earth? A disciple will never serve their full purpose whilst they cower and huddle in a Christian bubble. We do not fulfill our Christian discipleship by a mere private godliness. A week that has been full of church meetings with church people for church activities is not necessarily a week of Christian discipleship. Have you lost contact with the earth? I think one of the reasons why we panic about the fellowship group Christianity Explored Mission is because we have lost contact with the earth. We're having a party inside a salt shaker. Jesus says, have you lost contact? How many non-Christians would call you their friends? How many non-Christians are you having regular contact with? If Christian discipleship is characterized by uh, having an influence on the world, how many people are you having that life-preserving influence on? 
have we lost our contact with the world? If we've lost our saltiness and lost our contact, Jesus says, do you know what? You're anti-purpose. If your purpose is to be for the sake of the world, but you've lost these two things, he says you're part of the scandal of hypocrisy. I think there's a subtle encouragement, though. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus is saying, this is who your identity is. And he's encouraging you to be who you are rather than being inconsistent with that. So he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are beef, so be beef. You are a Christian, so be a Christian. You are the salt of the earth. But then he says, not only salt, light. Let's read these verses again. You are the salt, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they would see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now notice something that Jesus does not say. He doesn't say a city on a hill must not be hidden. What does he say? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's an impossibility, not a matter of obedience. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. If Jesus is the light of the world, which he is, and he has caused that light to be birthed in you, then you can do nothing else than radiate that light. A Christian is someone who is light. If the purpose of a lamp is to give light, it is the purpose of a Christian to shine with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an impossibility for them not to. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so Jesus says there is a ridiculousness to this that a disciple who is not seen and known to be a Christian is as ridiculous as a light that does not give light, as water that is not wet, as fire that is not hot. There is ridiculousness. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And yet he applies the scandal. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Do you see the ridiculousness of this? You do not light a lamp to give light, to hide the light. You know that. And yet Jesus has to apply the ridiculous because so often we are ridiculous. So often we do hide. But Jesus knows why. Why do we read from verse 11? Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. What's your instinct in front of persecution? To hide, isn't it? But Jesus says, even in that moment, discipleship is not to be characterized by a game of hide and seek. It is to let your light shine. Even amid persecution, amid the lies, amid the suffering... 
The purpose of your discipleship is to shine with the light of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, Flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Now for Bonhoeffer, that meant being hung in a Nazi concentration camp as he shone his light for Christ. Two men called Latimer and Ridley uh, lived in the 16th century and they were burnt at the stake for standing up for God's word. Latimer said to his brother, Be of good cheer, Brother Ridley. We have lighted such a candle in England as by the grace of God shall never be put out. They died by the flame to light a light to the gospel in England. Persecution is not an excuse to hide your discipleship, but may actually be the means by which God is calling you to shine. It is not an excuse to put the ball over the lights, but it may be the way that God is calling you amid the darkness of this world to shine for him. So Jesus lifts the lid on the scandal and says, are you hiding your light? Do your friends, do your colleagues, do your family know that you are a Christian? Now as they see you and your attitudes and their actions, do they see that there is something distinctively different about who you are? Or is it hidden? As they look at you, do they see the righteousness and the purity and the mercy of Jesus or is he hidden? Are you persecuted for being a Christian? Or is your light hidden? Are you beef without a hint of beef? Are you a Christian without a hint of Christian? Are you light that's been hidden? We defame him if no one knows that we claim him. If one of the purposes of your discipleship is to bring praise to the Father in heaven, we defame him. We rob him of praise if we hide our light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So what do people do rather than hide it? The verse says what? They put it on a stand that it might do what? Shine. That what? People would see. On a stand that it might shine so that it can be seen. So here's, here's what Jesus says. All right, don't hide, but maximize. It's not about hiding your light. It is about maximizing that light. What does that look like for you? What is your stand? With the talents that God has given you, the opportunities he's given you, the workplace he's given you, the hobbies he's given you, what is your stand? Where are you to place yourself that your light might shine more brightly? How are you going to brighten the corner where you are tomorrow morning? Look different from every single one of us. But Jesus says, let your light shine. Some of you may notice something which you think is inconsistent. If you look at chapter 6, verse 1, 
Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Is this a contradiction? Well, no, what Jesus is saying is, it is not so much a matter of location, but motivation. Doing your deeds to be seen by men, if it is that they might see them and praise your Father in heaven, that is what you are called to do. If it is that you do them, that you might be praised by men, that is the hypocrisy he is uncovering. One person has put it like this. Christians are people who do good deeds. Uh, uh, Sorry, let me get this right. It is not that people are to do good deeds to be seen doing good deeds, but that we just happen to be seen as we are doing them. That is the distinction. Jesus says, let your light shine. Where is your stand? How are you shining that people might see? And again, Jesus is not asking you to be something that you're not. If you're a Christian, you are light. Hypocrisy is actually inconsistent with your identity. You are light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That word earth and world points us forward to the end of Matthew's gospel, where it says, all authority has been given to me, and so I'm sending you out into all the world to make disciples. This is our task, to be making disciples to the glory of God. How are we doing? Are you shining or are you hiding? It is good news for us who are Christians, that Jesus died for hypocrites, isn't it? So I've studied this this week, I thought, goodness me, how easily I conform and hide. Hypocrisy isn't the unforgivable sin. When Jesus died, he died for hypocrites. And yet he did not die for your hypocrisy that you might remain a hypocrite. He died that you might be salt. He died that you might be light. What if you're not a follower of Jesus? If you're not a Christian? Uh, let me say three things. An apology, a question, and an invitation. Very quick. An apology. Uh, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. I hope you've seen that. And I hope you see that Jesus hates the scandal of hypocrisy. That's why he preaches against it. If you hate hypocrites, then you're in line with the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us, well, let me apologize on behalf of Christians. We have not been as distinctive or shone as brightly for you as we ought. We've cowered and we've hidden our lights. And yet let us just ask you not to look at the hypocrites who need saving, but to look at the Savior of hypocrites to look at the one who we are following. He who knew no sin, yet for us became our sin, that he might give us the righteousness of God. He who knew no hypocrisy, took on my hypocrisy, so that I might be the righteousness of God. Look to him. Secondly, a question. If the Bible is right, and it's right in saying that the world is in darkness, 
then you will not find the answers to your greatest questions and your biggest needs in the world. The Bible says that darkness blinds, that darkness kills. And so a question, what if who you are, the questions you have, and the purpose you need is found not in the world and not even in yourself, but is found in God's words? An invitation. We read in God's words, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus offers a better kingdom than anything we could build for ourselves. He offers complete forgiveness for whom we have been. And he offers us the ultimate rewards, eternity with him. If today you know your darkness, if you've had enough of searching for purpose and meaning and life in this world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he offers you life rather than decay. Eternal life rather than eternal decay. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven.